five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we're going to be looking at three films. We're going to be looking at Stillwater, which is Tom McCarthy's new Matt Damon-led crime drama about a man who moves to Marseille and tries to prove his daughter's innocence after just being caught up in a murder case. Uh, We're also going to be looking at Zola, which is the new A24-backed film, which is kind of famous because it is based off a Twitter thread um, about this dancer, stripper who meets this crazy woman and gets dragged off into a whirlwind and crazy things are happening. Uh, and also we're going to be looking at, in, in less depth because it's you know a bit old at this point, we're also going to have a little bit of a chat about the new Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt film, uh, Jungle Cruise, um, which is Disney's newest film based off a, a ride, obviously Pirates of the Caribbean being the most notable of those. Um, but this one sees, um, obviously, Jungle Cruise is about uh, a boat that goes on the jungle and Emily Blunt and Jack Whitehall have to team up with, with the cruise uh, driver, Dwayne Rock Johnson, as they look for a mystical plant which gives them healing powers and stuff. It's 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 convoluted. We'll get to that when we do. Um, but before that, uh, how are you doing today, Lewis? I'm doing well. I am. I'm, I'm excited to uh, to talk about some of these films. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a it's been an eventful week. I um, we, we, this wasn't the first episode we were planning to do, is it? Originally, it's not. Though. We were planning <laughs> to do a a Shakespeare special today, um, with three films, um, different retellings of, of Shakespeare's works. Um, and it got round to the day and I just hadn't seen them yet. Um, so you can blame me for that. But also it means that, uh, if you're a listener, you don't have to sit through us talking about Shakespeare until next week. So, uh, there's, there's that. Um, but yeah, it's been an eventful week for me. It's, uh, you know, end of the Olympics. I've loved it. I loved every second of it. Uh, and I've, I've become a, a passionate volleyball sport and, uh, start of the football season. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Life's going, life's going pretty, uh, pretty well, but yeah. Good. Anything interesting happened this week? Have you got some sort of crazy madcap story that happened to you? Uh, I have had a very uneventful week, actually. Nothing has happened this week. <laughs> you can't think of anything. Just like, did you like? I don't know. Go to the shops or something. I went to. I Tell have, me something about I your have life. been to Asda. I have been to Asda several times to buy some food mm. and some supplies. Interesting. I got a nice candle. Interesting. Mm. That nice. is that is how eventful my week has been. <laughs> very nice okay well um this i, I want to take some credit it's my bad that you haven't got anything to talk about this week because you have watched the three films we were supposed to be reviewing of course i have yeah um and the three films that we are reviewing but i don't think you've watched anything else other than that have you no it was like i say we were gonna do three shakespeare films so i watched those and then i realized oh wait i haven't seen anything else I don't have anything else to talk about. So purely coincidentally, I went to see Stillwater, Zola, Jungle Cruise. And then yesterday, <laughs> you were like, shall we do Jungle Cruise, Zola, and Stillwater? And I was like, yeah, but now I don't have anything to say. What have I watched this week? <laughs> right. Have you watched any shows? Uh, I haven't watched anything new, no. I've been watching... I've actually been watching a lot of old The Simpsons. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. that for a while. A while back. Watching all the 90s Simpsons when it was actually good. Um, my big Bart sells his soul fan. That's my yeah. favorite episode. 
I watched a. I I have it on as I'm going to bed, as I'm going to sleep. So I like go yeah. to sleep on season three and then wake up and it's like season nine. <laughs> I would, to be fair, that's that's probably like the the the, the law of the world. That's probably God Himself saying, "Probably don't go past that point. Don't really yeah. <laughs> find yourself going past series nine, maybe at ten and eleven. But I have I, gotten I, up no, to. It's, it's, I did finish it. I did finish. I, yeah. I started watching it from like season fifteen for some reason, and then I got to the last series. And it was just so oh, yikes. depressingly mm-hmm. bad compared to classic Simpsons, classic 90s the Simpsons. Musk that fell to earth. Yeah. The Elon Musk episode is painful. Um, <laughs> talking of the Elon Musk episode, uh, I finished Rick and Morty, finally. So I got through all of that oh, right. and um, I moved on. Um, and um, I have been filling most of my time um, with Breaking Bad. Um, oh, Yes. Yeah, so I uh, watched series one, two, and the start of three in what would have been year nine. So that probably about seven years ago, maybe something like that. Yeah. Probably when it first finished, uh, and I haven't really touched it since, except for the first two or three episodes. Um, and so I've never finished it off, and uh, I now I've started to make my way through it. Uh, I, I rewatched everything up up until up until uh, episode series three episode three which i'd seen and then i've moved on i'm about up to about series three episode eight um so i've had a fair few episodes now of me experiencing things for the first time unfortunately being probably the best loved show of the last couple decades i know an awful lot of spoilers i know who dies i think i know all the big people who die because of my friends arguing with each other in the past and spoiling for each other and the advertising for el camino and i know who lives i know things but i don't know who does what? I don't know what yeah, situation. Don't know how it I don't know how it gets there. I don't know the journey, uh, and absolutely nothing about Better Call Saul. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to what goes on now, and I've been absolutely loving it. It really is. I can see why it's received as, as one of the greatest shows ever. And you're you're a big fan. I I love Breaking Bad. Yeah, I love it so much. Back in I was like the same as you, probably like year nine when it first finished. And my sister was a massive fan of it. And my sister was like, "You've got to watch it. You have to watch it." So I watched the first episode, and I was like, "Eh." This is a bit slow. Not really interested in it. Managed to finish the first season and I was like, eh, it's not really for me. I'll give up. But then as it finished and as it got later on, everyone was talking about it. And I was like, okay, I'll give it another go. So I watched the first series again. And then as I carried on watching it, I was like, oh my God, this is impeccable. And when you've, to me, the first series is a slow burn. And once you finish the whole series and you go back and watch season one, you can appreciate how good season one is because now season one is one of my, has some of my favorite episodes in it. Well, I think are the best episodes and um, I really, it, it is to me the best show ever. I think it's just unfathomably good. I think we should do a Breaking Bad episode. When you finish it, watch El Camino and we'll do a Breaking Bad episode. <laughs> Yeah, so I love thing. it. I was sit through five series of Better Call Saul. Have you watched Better Call Saul? I haven't finished Better Call Saul or caught up with where it is because it's not finished yet. But I have seen quite a bit of it. And it is great. I do think Breaking Bad's better, but Better yeah, Call Saul is I've still great. Almost everyone I know has said Breaking Bad is excellent, but I actually think Better Call Saul's better. I, I, I've seen a lot of people, people say actually, that as well. Yeah, yeah. You're probably one of the first people I've actually heard say that they think Breaking Bad is better. Yeah, I think Better Call Saul is kind of more story driven like the thing with Breaking Bad that I think a lot of the reason a lot of people think it's very slow 
is unlike other TV shows, it doesn't have a series, a plot every series. It, it's just right. the big plot. Like, if you've ever seen Dexter, you know that the plot of Dexter as a show is Dexter is a serial killer who only kills bad people and is trying to hide it. But every series has its own arc. Like, the first series is him trying to catch the ice truck killer, and the second series is a different killer, the third series is a different killer. Whereas with Breaking mm. Bad, it's all just about Walt cooking meth and trying to keep it a secret and the explosions that happen because of that. So it's not really structured like a traditional TV show. Whereas Better Call Saul is, like, every series has, and every episode really has its own little case, because obviously it's like a legal drama as well. It's a lot more um, plot-driven than Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is a lot more character-driven, but I just prefer, I I prefer Breaking Bad. I think it is the best show ever. I could talk about it for ages. And I am, I am a staunch Skylar defender, so no Skylar slander. Yeah, we had a, we had a little bit of a discussion about that on Twitter earlier. Yeah. as as I get further into the show, I sympathise more with Skylar, and I think that she is harshly seen by the fan base. I definitely think that she's not as bad a thing. However, especially in the early series, she is quite annoying. Um, and, and so is the kid, to be fair. I mean, they're both twats, really. But so is everyone, most of the people in that show are twats, except for Jesse. Um, yeah. He's the only good guy. But she does also look like a toe. So there's that. I'm a so Skylar defender. Will not tolerate this. <laughs> She's the best character in the show. She, and you, and you, you'd like it to be officially known that she doesn't look like a toe. She doesn't look like a toe, and she's the best character in the show. That rhymes, so it's true. Really, so far I've got to say it's big. To be fair, it's probably his big soul. He's an absolute don. He is great. Um, Everyone's great though. Yeah, they are. They are. And uh, weirdly, Frank, I find Breaking Bad. Weirdly, I find Breaking Bad endlessly rewatchable. Which it oh. really doesn't strike me as the kind of show that is yeah, rewatchable. Yeah. But I find it really yeah. easy to rewatch. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So other than that, um, I haven't really got that much to talk about. I um, I rewatched The Shining uh, the other day in 4K for the first time. It's the first time in 4K. And I'll say that I was definitely way too harsh on it on the podcast when we reviewed it on the pod. Uh, and I think that a lot of the issues I had were I, w- I would not agree. And I'd like to, you know, I've said this I think in episodes since, but I'd like to very much distance myself from my comments about Shelley Duvall not being absolutely impeccable because she is. I said before that it was over the top, but it's not. It suits the role so well. I yeah. do have issues with The Shining. So far, it probably is towards the bottom of my Kubrick, but that is still not meaning anything bad it's still an 8 out of 10 I think it's an exceptional film uh, maybe a bit higher um, yeah I'd love it um, and also um, I just want to say that a weird thing today uh, being well t- the day that just went so so Tuesday um, I think I wasn't awake for more than 15 minutes at any point without consuming media because <laughs> uh, like the, obviously the day starts at midnight right and I was awake and I was watching Breaking Bad and I watched loads of that and I was like, okay, I'm, I uh, kind of tried to go to sleep for five minutes and I couldn't. I was like, right, I'm just going to put something on the background. So I ended up watching the whole of Shazam again. So that was that. Then I fell asleep. Then I woke up, instantly watched an episode of Breaking Bad. Um, then went, got, got, in the, got in the car, went down, watched Stillwater. Came back, watched an episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> got in the car, went back to the cinema, watched The Nest, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, then came back home, watched an episode of Breaking Bad, then watched an e- the most recent episode of Ted Lasso, and then came on the podcast. So I was never, for more than 15 minutes, not watching content at some point yesterday. Pretty impressive, eh? That is how... Did you watch the episode of Ted Lasso? 
Yeah, I have. I thought it was the best episode so far. I thought it was brilliant. Really? I, I thought it was it was good, because it always is, but I would definitely not say that. And also, probably one of the most unbearable children I've seen in a long time. I, mean, I, I also children, agree. I, I the, hate it when adults write young children in shows like that, because they, they, they think they understand how young kids are, and it's, they painfully miss every single time. Well, I think, in general, I think it's morally wrong for anyone under the age of 12 to exist. So, for them to be <laughs> too fishy is about 12, but yeah, obnoxious. But yeah, Ted Lasso was great. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay, um, we'll start off. Uh, before we go into the big three films, uh, I have seen The Nest, so I'm going to give it a, a little mini review. Um, so, this is a film that came out uh, at Sundance, uh, which is the film festival it happened earlier in the year in America. It just got released in England at Sundance London, um, as did Zola. Um, and, and a whole other films like The Most Beautiful Boy in the World and Precious and uh, Sensor and a few other things. Um, but one of the highlights, kind of, or ones that were talked about the most, was The Nest, and it was shown in Cineworlds yesterday. Um, and I watched it. And I thought that it was a very strong picture. The Nest is a film that stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon, and it's about Jude Law is a banker living in America. Um, he's an English banker living with his wife in America. She's she's an American woman. She's like a, a horse rider, you know, equestrian person. Um, and they decide to move, or he decides to move them and their kids to uh, back to his homeland of, of England. And they move into a big mansion in Surrey. Uh, and he works in London. And it kind of, as soon as it, as they, and this is set in kind of uh, Reagan, Thatcher era, kind of 80s Britain. And it is uh, there's definitely um, some analysis or, or some some uh, kind of touching on the details of um, you know the the moral dealings of stuff like banking and you could go kind of wider into to capitalism if you want to do that um, whilst also having a more kind of driven narrative on their lives falling apart and the realization of their roles in society and kind of the children trying to fit in and just a whole different thing. So each character is kind of developing and learning more about themselves um, and ultimately um, kind of realising the most negative parts of them. And I'd say that it was really strong and the the cinematography very much start, starkly different to how I'm going to talk about Zola in the future. But this, this cinematography that's done in a way that's so, you know, there's these long one takes and and really static shots and it's really the whole the actors are moving the camera rather than the camera moving itself and it's very kind of slow and traditional and static um which is obviously contrasts massively from the way that we talk about zola cinematography in the future um but the main thing is that whilst the production design is great and the cinematography is great and the score is excellent this is dragged by two award-worthy definitely award nomination worthy performances from jude law and carrie coon um, whether I'll see them at the Oscars is, is a different question. Whether they should be the Oscars is a dead cert. Carrie Coon definitely should be in the conversation for at least a nomination in Best Actress. But I've got a feeling because of the lack of media attention that perhaps uh, she will not be getting in there. But maybe with the fact that the film's getting delayed, perhaps we'll get to see it. But yeah, I, I definitely recommend anyone that can go see The Nest to go see The Nest. Uh, it's probably showing in picture houses around the country. And I was quite a big fan. Okay. Sounds good. Go see, go see the nest. Um, 
So we're going to be now talking about Jungle Cruise, uh, which is the first of our... Oh, actually, I'll say, I'll tell you a weird thing that happened. I went to the nest earlier, and I sat down in my chair, and some woman sat down with her husband next to me. There was Ugh. a cinema full of loads of seats that they could have chose, and they choose, chose to... I booked earlier. I was the only person on, the row, on that part of the row. She chose to book next to me. So I was like... like why? Regardless of your thoughts on like being antisocial, that's a weird thing to do. That is weird. So I just like gave him a weird scowl and moved down a row because like I'm not fucking yeah. sitting next to you, you weird bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like at the end of the day, I'm not saying like again, it's not about being antisocial. It's just why would you do that, you weirdo? Yeah, that is weird. I will say that Sydney World audiences did not enjoy the nest. I heard multiple people complaining as they left. Oh, um, a lot of people were like. Like, I heard a few people were like, what actually happened in that film? What was going on? Because it wasn't very plot-driven. It was a bit more thing. I think a lot of people, it wasn't for them. I guess it takes a certain type of person, but it definitely appealed to whatever type of film viewer I am. I don't, I don't know what that is. But yeah. a lot of people were like, oh, nothing really happened there. But I didn't feel like that. But it's a slow burn. But yeah. Um, so we went to Jungle Cruise, of course. Sorry. Uh, I interrupted myself there. So I'll let you go first. I've done a lot of talking. Um, but I'll introduce it uh, by saying that Jungle Cruise is the story. It's directed by uh, Jean Collet Serra, um, who has directed oh, directed Orphan and the Commuter before. Those are fairly well-known films. Um, and uh, which is a very different style of film to Jungle Cruise, of course. Uh, Jungle Cruise is is Disney's uh, new flick, starring Dwayne Rock Johnson, Emily Blunt, and Jack Whitehall and Jesse Plemons. Um, and is about this mystical story of a leaf that holds powers uh, in deep in the Amazon um, with a kind of assortment of magical conditions and uses and things in artifacts required to work, make it work and such. And Emily Blunt and her brother Jack Whitehall uh, go out on an adventure to the Amazon to try and find these for purposes to prove the people back home in Britain wrong uh, and they enlist the help of Jungle Cruise driver Dwayne The Rock Johnson who journeys them down there and they have to face off against a variety of fantasy uh, villains and and German World War One soldiers and uh, and you know ancient skeleton people and such um, and have to deal with a whole lot of twists and turns both in the story and in the jungle. Um, so, what did you think of Jungle Cruise? I, I was, weirdly, I was very excited for Jungle Cruise going into it, and then for some reason, the week that it came out, I just became incredibly apathetic towards it. I really didn't care about going to see it, and I didn't see it for ages. And the only reason I did see it is because I needed something to talk about. Um, and I went to see it, and I was really surprised with how much I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. It did kind of harken back to Pirates of the Caribbean. You know that that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to have a new adventure franchise like Pirates because that franchise is dead now. Um, it's not quite up there with Pirates for me. Maybe that's just my nostalgia because I remember going to see them as a kid and loving them so much. But this, you can tell that's what they're going for. and I really enjoyed it and it did give me that same kind of vibe of the historical adventure action-packed Disney movie. And this is... This is Disney at their best for me. You know, I'm sick of Disney live-action remakes. More of this, more of, you know, it's not wholly original because it's based on a ride, but it's original 
you know, it's not a remake. It's an original story that they've made up um, with these new characters. And I think this is what Disney does best. These big action-packed blockbuster adventure movies is where Disney is brilliant. If this was released, you know, if COVID wasn't a thing, this would be a blockbuster hit and smash and the sequel would already be announced. And, you know, there's a lot of franchise potential in this, which I don't have a problem with because I like almost everything about it. I think the characters are really good. The Rock was just being The Rock, so I can't really complain about that or praise him. He was just The Rock. It's exactly the same as everything he's ever in. But Emily Blunt was great. She was a really, really good lead performance. Um, Her character was funny and interesting and compelling. And, you know, there were a few things that I didn't like. I didn't like Jack Whitehall's character. I feel like they clearly and rightly so wanted to avoid the damsel in distress trope that happens in a lot of these films where, you know, you know, if this was made 20 years ago, then Jack Whitehall would have been Emily Blunt's character and Emily Blunt would have been walking around going, oh, my clothes, you throw my clothes into the river. How could you? And and all that rubbish that they did. Um, right. But they clearly they didn't avoid the trope. They just made it a man instead of a woman. But. To me, the issue with a damsel in distress, yeah, it's that they've always been women, but it's also that they're just horribly written characters who, like, are so superficial, they're so unlikable because they're so superficial, because they're so badly written, because of, you know, the way that women have been treated in these films. And then to take that trope and just put it on a man, it was just lazy. Like, his character was just a damsel in distress, and... It was just a badly written character. I didn't like him. He was just annoying. And it also made it very predictable, you know, the the classic, oh, the damsel in distress is useful, and then right towards the end, they punch someone and do well and all that rubbish. Um, So I wish they'd have made him, like, an interesting character rather than just, oh, he's scared of everything and he's obsessed with his clothes. Um, You do have to have some sympathy for them, having to work with the limitation that is Jack Whitehall. That is true. I am sick of America taking our comedians. They took James Corden and ruined him. They're taking Jack Whitehall and they they're ruining him already. Um, well, again, I don't think they haven't picked two that particularly needed much. <laughs> I'll tell yeah, you, I, they're, they're, they're not, not touching Peter Frankie Ball. I've got a feeling that he won't be. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think that's a worry. I don't think Disney are going to be knocking on Frankie Boyle's door anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd love to see it, of course. Yeah, Frankie I'd Boyle is see, in the Disney's new adventure see, film. <laughs> yeah, I want to see Jungle Cruise release the the Boyle cut. <laughs> I want to see release the Limmy cut. That's what I want to see. <laughs> but yeah, that that would actually be better because you know at least yeah. the character would be interesting. Um, right. Okay. I thought right, that... while we're on the subject of Jack Whitehall, um, I'm, I'm going to say I want to ask, and this is a, a spoiler, right? I mean, this is a minor spoiler for part of the film. Okay. How do you do you how do you feel? Do you feel cynically or do you think positively that they that a Disney film has an openly gay character? Well, I feel. I mean, openly, of course, is a question. Yeah, I was not, just about they, to say they that. are gay, but they're not open. But they are gay. They're clearly gay. Yeah, but I was just about to say that because I think openly is a bit tenuous because they don't say. I just wish that they'd say rather than saying like my interests lie elsewhere, and then the rock goes elsewhere. Right. Would just say because I'm gay. And then you point at him like, you. On. Yeah. Like, just say, like, instead of being, like, my interest, instead of being euphemistic about it, just say, uh, I'm gay, I like men, you know, and do that. 
and then ignore it they, and don't do anything about it. The thing that annoys yeah. me about this is Disney do things like this where it's clearly euphemistic so they can pass it off as, oh, he was interested in another woman for the Chinese box office. And then they'll release an article and say, look at us. We are so LGBTQ plus friendly. Yeah. And it's like, no, oh. just leave it be. You know, it wouldn't be half as bad if they just left it in the film and didn't say anything. It's the fact that they'd make press statements saying, we're going to have an openly gay character in our film, and then it's euphemistic and nothing comes of it. You know, I am now, I am course, cynical the, about that. The real answer is, of course, they talk about it openly and they include it in the, in, in the plot and, you know, it's, it's, it's more open. But would you say that what they did is worse than not including it at all and just not having that scene in there? I don't know, to be honest, and I am very conflicted mm. about it, because part of me does think, like I was talking about the damsel in the tr- distress, they were like, well, we want to avoid the damsel in distress and having this really feminine, useless woman, so instead we'll just have a really feminine, useless gay guy, and that's our first gay character, which is kind yeah, of stupid. They beat around the bush, maybe it's not the best term to use, when talking <laughs> about him being gay, but they don't yeah. beat around the bush at all with like very... They, they're very much going for the... With a feminist vibe here, like it's very much trying to girl power. It's not they're trying to, yeah. you know, they're, they're trying to show that very clearly. They're not trying to, uh, you know, make this like it's very overt and they talk about it openly. Yeah, um, and it is very is, on know, the nose. Which I do, I do wish that they'd be a bit more subtle with things like that. It yeah, it's very yeah, on the nose. And I do it. Like I've always said, like I prefer things to show me rather than tell me. Like show mm-hmm. me that mm-hmm. Emily Blunt's character is, uh, I hate this phrase, but a strong female character. Instead of being like, you're wearing pants every five minutes. Why is a woman wearing pants? A woman can't wear pants. And I think. To be just... fair, they do use the word trousers. Yeah, that's true. They do, actually. Emily Blunt corrects yeah. them and says they're trousers. Um, yeah. But I do yeah, wish. I was, they that's just... what I was saying. Yeah. Why yeah. they had to constantly go out of trousers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, that. yeah. But yeah, I do wish that they'd like show us rather than just tell us. But I didn't, I didn't bother me too much. But, um. Right. Okay. I don't. I think Back I to would the film itself. I guess. Oh yeah, that's true. I would. I would have probably. Like, I'm okay with Jack Whitehall being this uh, gay character. I don't think I would have preferred it if they cut that scene or liked it less or more if they'd have cut that scene. I don't think that scene has any impact whatsoever because, like I say, it's so euphemistic. You can just pass it off as, oh, his interests lie with another woman. You know, not necessarily it would be men. Bu- it, you know, they can it would just be pass bolder. It, that. it would be bolder for him to say he's gay. It'd be even bolder for him and Dwayne Lewis Johnson to be the real romance at the end. Exactly, yeah. I Release the gay cut. Really, that's they should have been the romance. But if they'd have done that, that would have been great. And also, yeah, been... it shouldn't have been Jack Whitehall. It should have been someone who was gay. <laughs> James Corden. Oh God, that's I've actually written down in my notes. At least it wasn't James Corden, because <laughs> <laughs> that would have made it worse. But it should have been, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it shouldn't have been so euphemistic. They shouldn't have released loads right. of press statements saying we've got a gay character, and it shouldn't have right, been Jack Whitehall. Okay. Um, sure. But other than that, that's like the most minor issue with it because, like I say, it is such a fleeting moment; it doesn't really have any impact on it. But um, back to the actual film, yeah, I really love the vibe. I love the vibe. I thought the set design and the production design was really good. I thought that the VFX were mostly good, apart from on like the villains; they were a bit iffy. Like whenever you animate mm-hmm. a human face, it looks a bit iffy. But other than that, the VFX were like obviously they didn't they weren't actually on the Amazon throughout this. Potentially they were on it briefly, but they weren't on it most of the time. I'd imagine most of the time it was a pool and green screen. 
um, and it looked flawless. It was brilliant. Disney's like environment CGI, not specifically Disney's actually, but just environment CGI now is just flawless. It looks completely photorealistic. Yeah. Um, and I thought that it. W- I'm very excited to see where this goes in the future. And I actually thought when I left, I want to see a Pirates of the Caribbean crossover with Jungle Cruise where Emily Blunt yeah. is looking for like Jack Sparrow's ship or something, or they look for the curse of the Flying Dutchman and they meet Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan and all that. I think that'd be, you know, there's a lot of franchise potential here and I'm excited for it, which is more than can be said for most Disney films that have come out recently. I'm excited to see where these characters go in the future. And I also, di- I won't say what it is, but I didn't expect the twist. So that was Yeah, no, good. no, I was going to ask it, actually, yeah. No, yeah. I, I liked the twist and I didn't expect it, so that was that was. Yeah, good. I, when, when they, I, again, it's, we're going to be talking around the twist, so if people have seen it or are on about um, with, with, with The Rock, but when it first happened, I was like, right, that's ridiculous, that's so stupid. And then five minutes later, I was like, yeah, no, I think it works, actually. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it definitely took me for surprise, surprise. Um, yeah. Yes, so Jungle Cruise. So I can't remember exactly when, what, how much I said last week because I, I saw it just before we recorded last yeah. episode. I did talk about it. Was seeing brief. It. Yeah, I can't remember what I said. But also, I saw this film 10 days ago or something. So, um, you know, I can't remember it perfectly. I actually came into this film, I think I said this last time, I came into this film expecting to like it more than I expected. This is like a weird thing to say. Like, I thought this would be the kind of film that I know I'd come what out you of mean. and go. It's not actually, it's not that bad. Like, I, I thought that thing, I actually say I was mm. a little bit disappointed because I thought it was basically mm. as good as it initially struck me. It was just okay. Uh, I didn't really have any love for it. Um, now, it looked beautiful. It, that's undeniable. It looks great. Um, the CG on, on the, on the location is, is excellent. Um, I will say that the, the tiger companion is quite clearly CGI though, which is, yeah, that you know, is maybe true. not, not, always the case with with the quality of cgi and these days um mm. and i think that the it was funny it was genuinely funny um and i had quite a bit of care for for emily blunt's character um but i shared a lot of the same problems you have with jack Whitehall's character i thought it was a little bit annoying it should have been jack Whitehall. it should have been someone funnier um i i thought that um you know it, i the problem i had mainly is i just didn't really feel that interested in the story i thought it was so kind of basic and so done and there was so many like little caveats to the architect uh, the artifacts and this and stuff that i kind of quite early on came quite uninterested to be honest uh that's just a personally it really didn't tick the boxes fantasy wise for me i just wasn't particularly interested and the way that the kind of wheels um kind of turn and what the way that the, the puzzle sorts itself out towards the end didn't satisfy me and i thought a lot of the kind of third act resolution was so obvious uh really blatantly you know this feels like do you know biff and chip the um oh, do you God, biff that's and chip? A throwback yeah I, I thought I came out of the cinema thinking this is what would happen if the Biff and Chip authors wrote a, <laughs> wrote an Indiana Jones film, like the Magic Key, or whatever it's called. Like it's just like a kind of vague, kind of childish parody yeah. of an Indiana Jones film. And yeah, I mean, it was a, the, the the second act is the best while they're going kind of down the cruise. That that's the best part of the film, definitely. Um, the beginning takes a while to start up, especially the kind of London stuff, which is a bit boring. Uh, and the kind of, as I said, I had a problem with the third act, but yeah. Now, this is a bit of a nitpick, but I'm going to talk about something that really has started to annoy me, especially between this 
and Wonder Woman, which is a weird comparison, I guess. Um, yeah, where are you going with which this? Which is, stop making World War One Germans into Nazis. They're not the same thing. I don't know why <laughs> they always act like they're Nazis. Yeah. Like, they we obviously fought them in the war, but they weren't like ultra evil Nazis. They were just like opposition soldiers. It's like turning like, you know, the like the people in the English Civil War, like the other the the War of the Roses or something. They're into like unbelievable bastards. They're just like the other side. I don't know why they're like. They're trying to make rewrite history to make kids think that like, the Nazis were around in the First World War. Like <laughs> Jesse Plemons plays a Nazi. He it's, does. It's nineteen fifteen. Yeah, that it's a little thing, and it, it did it in World War One as well. It, in World War in Wonder Woman, it did it in Wonder Woman as well, where yeah. they turned them into the thing. And it was like, I know that it's like you need to pick. It wouldn't work as well if you did this in the thirties, but find someone a bit more evil, I guess. I don't know. It just feels like there's such a weird cheap shot that I yeah. just don't think that many people even think of and it's just like oh dear. that that annoyed me but yeah it it was fun at points it was funny at points um, but the plot didn't really click with me and I think oh, I've seen this film like a million times in a few different better ways and I never really connected with Dwayne The Rock Johnson's character so for me you know it, it missed as much as it, as it hit and it's going to reflect my rating because I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10 Fair enough. I do agree with a lot of things that you said. I, I, ne- I can never connect with the Rock's characters because he just he does just play the Rock. Um, but yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, but my my biggest issue with this was Chad Whitehall's character. Like you know, they finally got rid right. of the damsel in distress trope, and then they just did it again. Like as though yeah. the only issue with the damsel in distress is that it was a woman. Like that's the biggest issue, but it's by far not the only issue. So mm-hmm. I did sure. enjoy this a lot. But that does bring my rating down, and The Rock, and some of the CGI does bring my rating down to a 7 out of 10, so I'm still very favourable towards it. Yeah, it's a lot better than mine, fair yeah. enough. Um, okay, uh, what about your man of the match? I have made the mistake of doing what you did last week, which is I'm giving my man of the match to the thing that I haven't even mentioned in the review. <laughs> <laughs> really? And that is the yeah, I did that with, Ron Barber and the sound team. Suicide Squad. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I'm giving this to Ron Bartlett and the sound team. I've I've mentioned Ron Bartlett because he is the name that is listed first on Letterbox, but there right, is a okay. huge sound team uh, behind this, and I thought the sound mixing and the sound design was great in this. I thought it was noticeably good, uh, which can't often be said for a massive Disney blockbuster like this. So I thought the sound was great, uh, and when I looked at the other films that they've worked on, they worked on Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, which is your favorite film, so. Evidently, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. The oh, yeah, I need to get mine as well. Yeah, I am going... I am going to give mine to Jean-Vincent Pouzos for the production design, because I think that the time period and the jungle were done very well, and there were some very interesting sets they deal with. Oh, I guess that would also be Larry Diaz's set direction, de- decoration, but I think it's involved in production design. But a lot of the sets of the kind of... Um, tombs they go into and you know booby traps and such you know the, the, as I said the, the, the B-Tech um, in uh, Jones stuff I think it looks very good so I'm giving it to Jean-Vincent Pouzos in his production design okay now um, before we go on to Zola um, I'd like to quickly talk about this involves Damon Lewis Johnson and I want to talk about something very sad that's happened this week and I hate to bring the mood down um, but 
um, a number, unfortunately, a number of actors uh, within Hollywood um, have been involved uh, and have had to to tell us, unfortunately, that they don't shower this week. Um, there's been a bit of an epidemic, perhaps, of people telling us that they don't shower. Um, now, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is very adamant that he does shower, um, but the likes of um, Mila Kunis, uh, Ashton Kutcher, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal have all came out as anti-showers. Kristen Bell um, as well. Kristen Bell. And, and I just want to know... Shepherd. Yeah. And I just want to know how you react to this saddening news. It, it, it is just weird. It's just yeah. such a weird thing to say and do. It's a weird thing to do, <laughs> but it's an even weirder thing to say. Like, you know, if you don't shower, that's weird. But if you then publicly say and proudly say, I don't clean my children until they are visibly dirty, that's even weirder than doing it. <laughs> you know, it's it's just incredibly disturbing and weird. Why are people like this? Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal fucking stinks. Yeah, my favourite tweet about that was someone said, put the clip of him as Mephisto with all of the green mist and was like, this isn't CGI, this is just his natural musk. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mysterio, not Mephisto. I think you've still got that WandaVision head Oh on. yeah, did I say Mephisto? I meant Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I did also see him bashing Hayden Christensen at one time. Did you see that? When no, what when they, about Hayden Christensen? When they were in a, like, they did an, a production together, uh, like a theatre production, um, a few years back, and he kind of came out in an interview afterwards and was just completely trashing him for stinking. He's like, no offence to him, he's a great actor, but nobody wants to, like, go, but when he's on stage, I can, like, visibly smell him, he's got awful hygiene. Oh, God. Like, oh, yeah, I remember reading about that. And a few years down the line. Like, oh. Now Jake Gyllenhaal is admitting he doesn't shower. Also, these people are not being asked about it. I mean, they are now, but until this point, they weren't <laughs> being asked about it. They, they, were they were just were, coming out and they were just like yeah. mentioning interviews. By the way, by the way, guys, I've got stinky balls. <laughs> like, it is, they were just proudly there was no presenting de- this information. Exactly. Which There's again no makes it, it even weirder. Yeah. If you yeah. are one of um, our many celebrity listeners, please clean yourselves. <laughs> please. This message to our South African listeners, do you shower? <laughs> that doesn't, that's not, not me calling out South Africa specifically. I know that sounded. Because I'm like... still... Yeah, that's I'm still interested on in who our South African listeners are because they're still weekly listeners from South Africa, um, and I would like you to get in contact. Tell us how you found the podcast and tell us if you shower. Yeah. Um, and, and we maybe. can see that you're still listening every week, so we know you hear this. So you're not contacting yes, exactly. us out of spite, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you maybe not make it to the end. Um, yeah, it should be the first I think thing we, we do say. A, we're going to do a listener poll if you shower, and if you, if you don't, then uh, you're banned from the podcast. <laughs> Now people are praising the likes of Jason Momoa and, and Dwayne Derrick Johnson <laughs> for just saying they shower. It's like, I, I could tweet that. I have good personal hygiene. Woo! Dwayne Derrick Johnson showers 15 times a day, to be fair to him. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He showers three times a day, one cold, two hot, and then he does like a mini shower or something at the end. Which is probably really bad for you, I imagine. Yeah, I'd imagine that that's not I feel like that. I don't want to sound, sound like Jake Gyllenhaal over here, but I don't think you should be showering that much. Yeah, I feel like you have to build up some kind of natural immunity. Like they say, they say like you should only wash your hair, like or shampoo your hair, like once every few weeks. Yeah, people say that, but like 
imagine like no have you seen my it. hair like if i <laughs> didn't do that for like if i didn't wash my hair like for so like, four days without it it would be an a sentient ball of grease like <laughs> the itchiness that i'd have to go through to get up to the tolerance of doing it once every week or five yeah. days or whatever like i couldn't deal with that the now show podcast well, that's what they say, isn't it? state that we show it once a day Yes, we okay. are a hygienic podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we are proud Moving. to offer that information. Mm-hmm. Moving forward to a film that is not always hygienic. Hey. hey. Uh, we're looking at the another Sundance film, like The Nest from earlier. We are looking at Zola, which is uh, directed by uh, someone called y- Yanixa, y- Yanixa Bravo. Um, this is her probably best known picture um and i think she's she's done a lot of, she's done tv work before but i think this is her first kind of big feature film it's uh produced by a24 which have produced a lot of discourse recently there's i don't know if you've seen this like an awful lot of people are, like now suddenly trashing a24 even though everyone's been wanking it off for the last few years um it's like a yeah, weird I state said, of like, being overrated like, and underrated it's yeah it's just me it's just getting mainstream enough for pretentious film bros to start saying that it's shit. Yeah, A24 has made some classics. Yeah. So, but not all their films are automatically good, um, as we could get to in Zola, seeing what we think of it. Uh, so Zola is a film based off a Twitter thread that happened in about 2015, was it? Or something like that. Um, a, a girl by the name of Zola um, posted a Twitter thread about a crazy weekend week that she had with with uh, this bitch, this uh, girl that she meets, um, and who's by, who goes by the name of uh, Stefani. So this this girl uh, Zola, she meets uh, while she's wait- waitressing. She meets uh, this girl called Stefani. They're both dancers, kind of you know, um, you know, strippers, and they get talking. And she becomes friends. They start working together, and and Stefani. Um, gets after only knowing her for a few days, um, get, offers to come to her to bring Zola on this trip to Florida to earn loads of money doing dancing. And one thing leads to another, and and one and crazy stuff happens, and there's incredible strange characters, and and so on and so forth. And the situation leads one thing to another, um, and it is done in a very stylized way. Um, with kind of quite over-the-top uh, editing and, and cinematography, which we'll get into in our own thoughts in a second. But yeah, it's it's um, kind of stars. The big name of this would be, probably be Coleman Domingo, who plays um, one of the uh, the flatmate or roommate of uh, Stefani. And um, I'll let you go first on Zola. What did you think of Zola? I I did. I'm not gonna lie. I had quite high expectations going into Zola, and it it didn't disappoint. I bloody loved it. It is, you know, when a film is it's not necessarily perfect, but it is exactly to your taste, and it is exactly the kind of thing that you like. This is exactly yeah. the kind of film that I like. The it, mm. it it's so good. I think the, you mentioned the editing is great. The cinematography is great. It's shot on sixteen millimeter film, so it looks. See, there's so much grain. It looks like it's out of focus at times. It's so stunning, 
and the cinematography is incredible and the lighting and the colors it's incredible and the editing is amazing and the score as well it's like a harp score and xylophone and other chimey instruments it's i think it's an ethereal experience watching this the score combined with the visuals and the the um the the score messed up the score and the visuals <laughs> uh, i'm not cutting out yeah that's fine the score and the visuals create this it is an, an ethereal experience watching it it's so it's such a vibe and the performances are incredible taylor page who plays the titular zola is incredible in this role she has a couple of scenes that are just devastating to watch and she carries it perfectly and she plays it devastatingly well and incredible and Riley Keough gives a really uncomfortable performance like watching her it's kind of like you cringe at her as a person which is entirely the point of the performance so it's not a bad thing but it's a really uncomfortable experience her performance and then Coleman Domingo is terrifying at times in this he just flips a switch like there's one scene not spoiler but Zola tries to get out of a car and he just flips and he goes from this kind of friendly, jovial guy, and he just becomes this terrifying monster in a split second. And he is transformative. I didn't even recognize him at first. I knew he was in this, but when I saw him, I was like, "Is that's the same guy from Ma Rainey. He he's he's unbelievable in this. I think that the direction and the screenplay are fantastic. It's it's all great on this. I have nothing really to complain about. I thought the costume design was brilliant. The hair and makeup was brilliant. The production design was brilliant. The locations that they chose were incredible. The, all of the supporting cast, even the characters that only had a few minutes and, um, Stefani's boyfriend was great. Um, and it was, it's such a, a sad and an important story. Like there's one scene that Zola and Stefani have where, it's an argument and then it ends with kind of a really sad look between these two women that clearly have some kind of shared experience and they understand what's going on and it's just so sad and the two leads pull it off flawlessly it is incredible but for me the, the standouts of this are the cinematography and the score I, i've had the score it's such a short score like it's about 35 tracks but all of the tracks are only like 30 seconds. So it's really easy to listen to. And I've had it on loop, like since I've seen it, <laughs> it's an unbelievable score. I can't stop listening to it. It's one of the best, one of my favorite and one of the best film scores I've heard in a long time. It is, it just, it's such a vibe, this film. And even the scenes where it's not fun and it's not a vibe, like I just said, it's still, compelling and interesting and there's you know it's only short it's only like an hour and 20 minutes and it does not waste a second of that hour and 20 minutes it is constantly doing stuff constantly on the move it doesn't really give you any time to just breathe and stop and relax mm. and you know I've, i won't go into detail about the ending and why i love the ending but i think the ending is a great way to end it instead of ending it where you know the thread ends i think ending it there is it is a great move. It feels much more like real life to me. Yeah. 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 
Uh, I agree. Uh, are, you, are you are you passing the the torch? Uh, yeah, you take it from here. That's the end of my review. Right. Okay. Um. So I, I actually lost my my picture house virginity here. I'd never been to a picture house before. But um, this film is not in uh, mainstream cinemas. Uh, it was there was a one day it was in an unlimited screening in uh, in cinema, but then it was out. But it's still uh, out in picture houses, and it will be for probably about a week. If you uh, are interested in seeing this after the review. Uh, but yes, so Zola, hmm. I, I came into this with a lot of curiosity. It's one of the Sundance, Sundance films that I want to see the most. It's definitely actually the Sundance film that I was most interested in and one that I, I seeked out more so than, yes, than like yeah. of beautiful, most beautiful boy in the world or um, The Nest or whatever. Um, and, and I, you know, willing, to, you know, went to, got a train to, to Cambridge and everything to go see it. And I was not uh, disappointed at all. I feel like I'm going to echo the exact same things that you said, uh, namely um, on your opening statements that sometimes films are made for people and films uh, suit people's interests perfectly. And I think Zola does it for me. Um, the it, the lighting, the colour, the cinematography, the editing... This film hits you like a truck and it just doesn't stop. It's just pound after pound. It's just coming at you and it's 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 hard to deal with. It's hard to put up with. It's, it's unrelenting, but it's ultimately wonderful as well. And it feels very much like the kind of thing I'd love. It's um, kind of... It's, it's a weird thing to compare. It's a very weird thing to compare because one is... It, this, this film is extremely outwardly sexual and unembarrassed of it um whilst the other film i'm going to compare this to is quite the opposite but i think in the fact that this shares a lot of what i love with something akin to that of perhaps kajillionaire with the color and the editing and the same kind of humor you know that film is Mm. quite you know opposite of the message but very similar in the way that it's just you know the, 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 this splash of, of of pinks and brights and bright lights and what what stands out for me there's a lot of good things I, I can talk about but I will give you money I mean you probably couldn't conv- convince me that I've seen better cinematography from a, any film this year and I, I've spoken openly for my love for a lot of you know Nomadland cinematography and The Father and Jews About Messiah and this and mm. that and this and that but for me. Zola absolutely is the pick of the bunch. Absolutely amazing. Every shot could be a poster. Um, yeah. You know the the blocking and and the lighting and it just mm. looks so beautiful. I mean, there's scenes where Zola and Steph, uh, Stephanie are standing opposite sides of a hotel room with a kind of large oh, yes. pillar between them. That it's just this beautiful yes. shot that goes on for quite a while. Um, one of the standouts for me, for people that have seen it, you know, I'm on about is. Uh, a shot in the um, like corner shop of um, of the kind of the, the uh, Derek having a conversation oh, with, yeah. with his friend, um, and it's kind of shot from behind the bottles, and just beautiful shot. I mean, as I said, the colours used here—it's like Wes Anderson shot a porno. It's just—it's excellent. It really is. Um, you know, I think that perhaps I wouldn't necessarily. Um, go as positively as you have about all of the performances i think that i think that the kind of main two weren't like the best thing ever taylor page and riley keogh um weren't weren't exceptional i say that taylor page's intimate or, or sadder moments perhaps 
were. Um, but throughout, I wasn't blown away by them. But Coleman Domingo and Nicholas Braun, who plays the kind of comedic relief, the boyfriend, those two really shine. That's because I'm a misogynist, of course. I'm just picking them in. Um, yeah, but those be. two, for me, really were the standouts. <laughs> um, of course, everyone's going to talk about Coleman Domingo. He's the, he's, he's the main standout, and he plays this, this man. Yeah. Said he, he flips on a switch, and he flips his accent from this kind of chill, yeah. um, kind of American chill, like kind of south coast american and to this like angry nigerian like mm. click, i'm not gonna do an impression of that one <laughs> but, yeah. like that stay, and, stay and clear then, of that yeah um i went for the <laughs> podcast i went to do that before i do that um and and you think can switch on a nice point um i felt like early on in the film i wasn't i felt early on like this is gonna be such a mess that i'm not gonna actually think rate it very highly but i'm still gonna talk yeah. about how i enjoyed it but then i never really felt that like it got to the point where i really considered it a mess I feel like stuff like the screenplay gets better throughout the film as we appreciate the characters more. Yeah. Um, I think that the the way that the, obviously the way it's presented is is what really drags me to loving this the most. But I think also the, the messages that it, it shows and and the, the highs, but also the awful, dreadful lows involved in perhaps being a woman in the sex industry. Um, you know, it really you know it's just a very interesting piece on the details of that situation and a lot of the greediness and seediness around the people that try to control it. Of course, like the, the pimps of of the situation, um, and, and a lot of the kind of disgusting men that get involved with it. Um, and I think, but realistically, what stands out to me, it makes this one of my favourite films I've seen so far uh, this year. Um, not necessarily one of the greatest, um, but one of my favourites. Um, is the the extreme stylized nature of it the you know unrelenting n- nature of the pacing and the editing and and probably my favorite scene there's an awful lot but there is a dream sequence almost when zola is saying she looks into a mirror and she's getting dressed to go dancing and she says who are you like who who's zola going to be today or which zola am i going to be today or something like that or who am i going to be today yeah and she looks into the mirror and then it flashes through these kind of different dreamy worlds of each one of her possible outfits and you know it, it kind of goes through one by one and the different the way that she holds handles herself from each one um and and just the way again a lot of the physical acting here between each the way that each character holds themselves uh, and walks i mean it's so strong yeah. and again like you said earlier it's held up by an excellent soundtrack that complements everything amazingly and creates this dreamlike and as you said about 50 times as you kept stuttering ethereal feel yeah and yeah i absolutely adored zola it was excellent again very weird film to see with my mum i didn't realize it would be as sexual as it is know, yeah um <laughs> but um definitely uh one of the standout pictures for me i really really loved it um yeah i i thought really just ticked all the boxes for what makes me love a film um and yeah it's it's, it's the color of it it's just this this film is uh 90 minutes of just a headlight you know just shocking you yeah. with bright color and yeah. you know intensity yeah i agree <laughs> i agree with pretty much everything you said you've 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 made me realize somewhat when i was talking about the the acting i think the those dramatic scenes the like you say the highs and the lows they were to me they were incredible they were flawless but i, I kind of agree like in the bits in the middle they weren't anything special they were just kind of decent performances uh, other than Coleman Domingo, Coleman Domingo was like just flawless, flawless, terrifying performance throughout. Like every time he was on screen, it was just like th- from the first time that he flipped 
after that, every single time it was on screen, I was just on pins. Like, what is he going to, what is this man going to do? Um, and this, it reminds me, like you said, you comparing it to Kajillionaire to make an even, perhaps an even weirder comparison. The way I felt after I watched this was exactly the same way I felt when I watched The Favourite. Because I finished right. The Favourite and I thought, that is exactly what I like about films. Like, The Favourite has got insanely stylized cinematography. Like, there are fisheye lens every five minutes. And the script is really weird and the performances are really weird and out there. And it's exactly what I love it's exactly to my taste. And this is the same. I left this and I thought, this isn't necessarily perfect, but this is exactly the thing that I love. It's so stylized, and I love the style that they've chosen. And I had exactly the same thoughts when I came out of The Favourite, and The Favourite was one of my favourite films of the past few years. And I think this is how I'm going to feel about this one as well. I really, really didn't expect to love it so much. Like I say, it's not perfect, but it's just... It's, it's it's what, like you said, it's not the best, but it's one of my favourite films of the year so far. It might even be my favourite up there with um, Deerskin. I'm not including Nomadland, because to me that's last year. Um, but yeah, I, other than Nomadland, the cinematography is the best I've seen in a long, long time. It's it's the, the, There's one scene in particular, and it's, the, it's in the trailer as well when um, it, it, there's a brief cut, and this is, ties in with the editing and the score as well, because the score is playing, where it's Zola in her apartment dancing on the stripper pole, and her boyfriend's just sat in the yes. corner, and the camera is like in the corner, and it's a really wide shot. And then she spins on the pole, and then it cuts to um, Stefani, who's sat on her couch, and it's exactly the same angle from exactly the same wide shot. And it's framed and blocked in the same way, but it's these two different people in their two different apartments. And I just thought it was—it's incredible. It's such a, a a visceral experience. This, please go and see it in like the cinema. I, I think this would be one of those films that is enhanced when you see it with the cinema speakers and the cinema lights, sat in complete darkness, watching it on the biggest screen. I think it would mm. enhance it a lot. Yeah, I might be tempted to go watch it again. To be honest, oh um, yeah. Even me though it's a bit of a trek for me, I uh, I think I, I might might just do that anyway because it, yeah. it was exceptional. Um, okay, uh, th- this is a really hard question for me. Um, oh, <laughs> really bad voice break there. Fuck you yeah, now. Apologize. Um, what what would you give rating wise? I'm jumping. Around I was a few I was conflicted about this here. as well. I am as well. Mm. I think I am. I'm going through a phase at the moment, and maybe it'll last, maybe it won't, where I really don't care about how good I thought something was. I'm just talking about how much I enjoyed it. So, in reality, like if you'd have, if I'd have seen this like six months months ago, I probably would have given it maybe like an eight. But I enjoyed it that much. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. Like, Whoa! I, 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 you know, it it isn't a nine and a half really because it's not that good. But I'm just basing it off how much oh. I enjoyed it. I think it's. Yeah, I enjoyed I think it that much. It is that and, good. Yeah. yeah, I think it. I, that's I'm how stuck, much I enjoyed it. I was it. thinking about bet- between an eight and a half and a nine, um, yeah. but I think just talking through how much I loved it and how little flaws I really do have with the film, because um, I also I just I, again the pacing is so intense. Yeah. Holy, you got thrown at the deep end with about like the amount of plot development there is within the first five minutes is insane. It feels yeah. like you've been watching it for. 
because it's so quick and it's so sl- like it, it feels so fast but then also so early in you've already done so much story it's it's pretty impressive yeah. actually um but yeah, I think it doesn't feel rushed. Eight and a half. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to to give it a nine. So just just slightly below you there. Um, yeah. I was thinking about eight and a half. But yeah, I think I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy that we we both felt so passionately because I feel like this isn't a film that's been like loved that much. It's kind of a bit of a weird coincidence. I think we've got to the point where we found a podcast where we both have the same likes and dislikes for almost everything. So it's yeah, we're gonna end up being the same reviews. But yeah, I <laughs> same as you, I I did love. Zola and I'm gonna give it a nine. So, for the man of the match, what are you thinking? I I think it's obvious the two that I'm thinking, but I genuinely can't decide between the two because I think the reason I love the cinematography is because it went so well with the score, and the reason I love the score is because it went so well with the cinematography. So I want to give it to both Ari Wegner for the cinematography and Michael Levi for the score. But if I had to choose one I, I genuinely I don't know I really don't know because they're they're intrinsically linked to me the score and the cinematography but I think I will give it to Ari Wagner for the cinematography it's funny this film is about it's about two women it's directed by a woman it's edited by a woman it's the cinematography done by a woman the production design done by a woman the art design done by a woman um, and the composer is done by someone that's non-binary so there's very little men involved in this yeah. at all to be honest the only different writers obviously the only the male thing here it's very rare that you get a cinematographer and editor that are both, both women but yeah. f- so you, you're, you're, what was your final answer? I, I think it's the cinematography but I might change my mind in like five minutes so <laughs> right yeah so for me I, I have to give the the props to, to, to Joy McMillan who did the editing because the editing is exceptional mm. they also did Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk um, they're, they're exceptional and I really thought the editing was great but I can't not give it to Ari Wegner who did the cinematography yeah. Um, it was yeah the, my favourite thing about this film it was astounding best cinematography of the year for me uh, yeah so Ari Wegner gets my my uh, thing so we're, we're doubling up on that one yeah okay wow uh, that's a review so that's a bit pretty passionate uh, and I wonder if we feel as, as passionately either way about the 2021 film of course uh, Stillwater directed by Tom McCarthy who did Spotlight which won the, the Oscar for Best Picture um, and it stars Matt Damon um, as uh, ba- Bill Baker who is a kind of rough American type from Oklahoma who uh, whose daughter was involved um, she's a she is in prison for murdering her lover, um, and he comes over and tries to find any evidence he can to uh, try and prove her innocence. Five years into her nine-year sentence, and he does that whilst meeting um, Allison, who is played by Abigail Breslin. Uh, nope, that's not right. That's his daughter. Sorry, I was just by meeting Virginia. <laughs> Virginie? How do you pronounce that? Virginie? I think... I'm not 100% sure because it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think it's Virginie. Yeah, who's played by Camille Cotton, sorry. Um, And they kind of uses her assistance in speaking French to try and and track down the the person that he thinks really killed the the, the person that his daughter is in prison for killing. Um... So you started the last two. So I'll start on this. Now, 
Hmm. Okay, so I have very mixed feelings about Stillwater. Um, I, I will. I'll start off by saying some of the good things, um, which is um, Matt Damon and Camille Cotton, who play the two main characters in this film, are both very good. Um, I would say a, a, a step below exceptional, but very good. Camille Cotton perhaps goes into that. Um, into that that upper bracket, uh, and her young daughter, who's played by uh, Lilu Servad, um, who are, you know up and coming, kind of up and coming. She's like six. Um, her daughter, um, you know, obviously no one's heard of her before, and she puts in a very good performance. Um, I think there is uh, a lot of interesting parts of the story. Um, it's not it's one that is not the the newest thing in the world. It, it's been compared. Very similar to the, the very similar real life Amanda Knox case. Now I don't really know the details of that. I don't know how much this is similar to that, and I, I don't really want to talk about it because it's not particularly important to how good the film is. But there's some sort of con- some controversy about that. Um, but I think that yeah, the acting is strong. I think that on a technical level, um, you know, the cinematography is good. Um, I think the screenplay is 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 fine. The screenplay is 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 decent. I think it subverts the narrative on a few things quite interestingly and doesn't always go the way you think it's going to be and i think there's some interesting comments on kind of americanism um and and kind of the destructive nature of 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 his, of his old ways and there's also you could look into that as as comments on on masculinity um and i think that most importantly the, the best thing about this is i'm saying is is that i think the, the main two performances are, are really strong um I think that you know that some of the interactions between Damon and and Maya, the young daughter, are are very full of of heart and and very organic and very authentic. Um, but and I will say more positives on the line whilst involved in this. But but the problem is is the pacing and some of the plot decisions here um, really let the, the the scene down for me. Really let the film down for me. Sorry. I think there is this excellent 90 minute film in here, but it kind of, it, it goes in head first with a lot of the discussion on, um, the kind of the case and the mystery of it and him trying to play lawyer. And then the film kind of, for whatever reason, uh, hang ups, the film progresses from that, uh, very fast paced, very intense, very interesting, curious part, uh, into, a long and very drawn out bit of character development and um, in details of his life in Marseille, it kind of the the case goes out the window um, and it, it's made up. It is replaced with these long, um, you know, forty minutes of him getting on with 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 people in France and his new life, and it really it really focuses on him and a lot of his reactions with the acceptance period of of his daughter's sentence. And then it goes back, obviously, as you expect it to, into the into the the, the crime of it, and and the pacing s- jumps up again. And he gets involved, and then it it actually ends up with a very slow burn, very uh, kind of drawn out, less developed, less intense ending uh, that I feel like I'm getting tonal whiplash. As I said, I think it's a great 90 minute film in here. If you just cut out big sections, you could you could have a situation where you're always still got your head in the action. You're still always connected. But I think that the setup of the way that the film is built leads the viewer to disconnect so much with some of the integral parts of the film um, that we that you kind of 
don't really care when things happen later on. You don't have sympathy necessarily. I think there are a lot of big questions that don't get asked that would really be interesting. Um, but really, I think that this is probably the longest film I've ever watched in terms of how long it feels because some sections are so incredibly dragged out. Um, you know, you're kind of, the film teaches you that everything happens in two minutes and then it then does the opposite. And there's these long, long periods. I think there are a lot of great messages that are then slightly contradicted by events that happen later. And I think that you can actually end the film about six or seven points earlier that make the film a better film, regardless of the, the middle section being clunky. Um, for me, again, there is just too much content in here. I think the film doesn't exactly know what it wants to be at times. It's trying to go for a few different genres, a few different uh, tones and it really never puts its foot down and really establishes itself as anything. Um, now, again, the con, you know, that there is, there's a, there is some, some great parts of it and the acting and the, the plot and, and there, there, there are interesting parts of the plot, but it's done in a way that isn't particularly new, uh, and becomes slightly convoluted at points, but most of all becomes dull, which is one of the worst things that can happen with a film. Um, for me, I was disappointed. What about you? Um, well, surprisingly, I am even less positive than you. <laughs> mm. I agree with almost everything that you said, um, apart from Matt Damon. I thought Matt Damon was just average. I don't think he gave a good, decent, incredible performance. I just thought he was, you know, he gave a sufficient performance. He, I believed that he was, you know, who he was pretending to be, and that's about as far as I'd go. Um, I mean, I think that it's a it's a very nuanced character, and it's a very it's a character that's juggling with a lot. And I think that he, him to to do that quite convincingly, and a lot of the emotions that he has to deal with, I think he pretty much ticks every box and does a little bit more. I I personally, I mean, that's just me butting in as always, but personally, I would say it was it was a good performance. That's just me. I I, I just think it was kind of decent, and I think the reason that I think it wasn't anything special kind of lies um, ties into some of the other issues that I have with the film. I thought, you know, I cannot believe that this was made by the same person who made Spotlight. Spotlight is one of the best political thrillers of the past, of ever. It's a it's a masterclass in dealing with something that, in theory, should be not tense and not, um, you know, gripping and making it gripping and making it intense, you know. It's a, a masterclass in that journalism, a journalistic thriller. And I thought, ooh, he's, made, he's leaning into that thriller aspect, the crime thriller aspect. This is going to be something good. And it was like any talent that Tom McCarthy had in Spotlight is not on display here for me at all. I think that this is just thoroughly, thoroughly average. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't. It was not for me. I think the cinematography is dull and boring. The editing is way too slow. I agree with you. It's way too long. The runtime is just. It felt like it was like a three-hour epic, and it's only two hours and twenty minutes. And I was like, how on earth is this only two hours and twenty minutes? This feels like it's a three and a half hour long film. It it is just so badly paced and so slow, but at other times unbelievably rushed. Like, we spend so long watching Bill walk around and stand around and drive around that there's no time to deal with the ending. The ending is so rushed. You know, we're building yeah, towards... Yeah, the. Uh, I won't go into spoilers, obviously, but we're building towards 
a very obvious ending and it, it we never get that catharsis really i never did it it just kind of happens we don't see how it happens we don't get the cathartic moment of the news yeah. you know the bill getting the news and his daughter getting the news and all that um it's just rushed and you know he gets a there's a big revelation relatively towards the end that there's just no time to deal with because there's not enough runtime left because we've spent so much time just standing around and listening to country music i i think bill is a really unlikable protagonist he is the epitome of an ignorant tourist he's been going to france for like four years at this point we don't know how often but he's been going for four years and he doesn't even have the courtesy to say bonjour to french people like a french child says bonjour and he just grunts hey at them and it's like (laughs) you're so ignorant and unlikable to me that i just was not invested in what he was doing at all He's so culturally, he's the the epitome of that ignorant, stereotypical American tourist that goes to France and all they want to do is eat Burger King and talk about America. And, you know, it, it felt like a satire at times. Like when he said, and the line is in the trailer as well, you know, um, the woman that he's, ooh, the woman that he's with is, she says, you sound very American. And he's like, good, I am American. And it's like, this feels like a satire attack. It feels like it's satirising American tourists in France. I think it is. I think it is. But I I was thinking that, but then I thought everything else is pointing towards this being a serious emotional drama. And that's why, like you said, I think the tones are just conflicting. It doesn't know what it wants to be. Yeah, I mean, I would say about that, I think it it is a serious emotional drama, but I think it satirises... The, the American tourist by kind of especially towards the, the later of the film kind of showing him being having issues and being emotionally inept and a lot of the kind of thing I think he actually shines a lot of some of the problems of what is seen as being stereotypically American and perhaps as I said earlier something does masculinities that isn't a fit problem I had with the film actually I thought that its depiction of America was was fine I think that he is just a very there's a he's a very real person because I think there's an awful lot of people that are like Bill. I think that that perhaps maybe he doesn't get called out as much by, as he should, but I think that he still is shown to be ignorant of a lot of problems. I think that leads to some of his issues later on in the film. I ju- I I understand what you you're saying. I just I just didn't like him. I didn't find him likable. So I was not invested in anything in anything he was trying to do, and I also think. Like I was saying earlier, I think Spotlight has one of the tightest screenplays ever. This screenplay is just a mess for me. There's so many I love yous and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love yous, I'm sorry, I love you. And then there's a few things that just make make it feel like it's written by someone who doesn't understand how society works. Like at one point, this isn't a spoiler, but at one point they're looking at pictures on someone's Instagram and they print the pictures off. And then they're like, well, let's take these pictures to the police, see if they can identify anyone. And one of the characters says, we can't take these pictures to the police. We stole them from Instagram. And it's like, what are you talking about? You stole them from Instagram. They were posted on a public Instagram. No, sorry. you, you I think you misheard that bit. I'm, um, I'm almost certain they, I didn't because me and Jordan both noticed that and both complained about that. No, they're saying that he that they were going to, not the police. They were going to go to that the girl that the pictures Instagram was from, and this, and she's saying that she wouldn't want to talk about him because they stole him off her private Instagram. 
it, they're not talking about the police. They're talking about that girl. They, they talk her name. I don't know what her name was, but they say we should go back to, and then they say the girl's name. They say no, no, no we won't, we won't, because we stole these off her Instagram. It wasn't the police. Well, I still think it's stupid. They were posted on Instagram, like yeah, but it was a, it was a private Instagram that she like faked her way into. That's well, like she probably if she showed up and said we stole these off your your private Insta, they're probably I could too fair that isn't a problem I had. I think that makes sense. I, I that, that's a problem I had, and there are there are a lot of moments like that that I just think are stupid. Like when he does get those yeah. photos and he's talking to people, he we see him ask about twenty people. Do you know who this is? Do you know who this is? And it's like we get it. We get that no one knows who it. You yeah, could have showed yeah, us. Yeah. You could have showed us him asking two people, and they both said no. And then cut to oh, it's night time. But instead, we spend ten minutes with him walking around this place. Do you know him? No. Do you know him? No. It's so repetitive. And it just, it was not for me at all. But having said that, there was nothing I thought that was actively bad. It was just average. Everything Mm. was just adequate. You know, I I don't think that cinematography was bad. I don't think that the editing was bad. I don't think that the acting was bad. I don't think that the direction was bad. I don't think that the writing was bad, apart from a few uh, things. Like, I think it's really repetitive. Um, And But the pacing is bad. But other than that, it's just average like i i was saying it should have either been under two hours like you said i think there's a really good 90 minute movie in here or they should have extended it and i think there's a really compelling mini series in here yes i did think that yeah. as well actually yeah i did say that i think there's a mini series yeah i think it's, yeah, it's I think either go either one yeah mm-hmm. it's in the middle of a mini series and a good film it's too long and too rushed at the same time it needed more time but it was already so long and so slow that giving it more time would have made it even worse. So it either extend it or cut a lot of it off. Um, this yeah. just it, it just was not for me. Not for me at I mean, all. I did not enjoy this. I think that there there's a lot of moments that are coincidental and there are a lot of plot points that I think are a little bit, you know, like easy that, that happen to fall into place. I think a lot of the, the plot is very, say, convenient. Um but yeah, I mean, yeah, for main the main reasons come down to, to pacing, you know. I'll say again, yeah. and and the decision to to have such a a drag, a a, a dull second act. Mm. Um, I think there are. A f- I I don't want because there's not enough to talk about spoilers wise. Uh, I guess I could talk to you specifically, you know, off pod or anything. But there are a few moments in the second act, um, perhaps involving the probation. Perhaps that I feel like the film would have ended better at that point, yeah, or, or maybe some of the events after her probation. That maybe the film would have worked better if it ended there, and it was a bit more of a of a kind of surprise ending, um, mm. but rather than dragging on. But for me, as I said, it, it reminded me. I'm going to make a comparison to the, what one of the films things this film did so poorly was one of the things that made Promising Young Woman so good. Now again, a strange comparison, I'm sure, but um, in Promising Young Woman. Um, there is the 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 film follows woman to woman do dealing with crime, then woman falls in love, then woman gets back involved with crime because something to do with her lover, right, or her love life. In this film, it is kind of man is dealing with with crime, man is living his normal life with with woman, man is dealing with crime. And then, yeah, so it's it, to do with something in, that comes up in his life. Kind of, even though the films are so different, there's a kind of similar structure in the way that the crime is dealt with. You're distracted by norm- normality for a while, and you're, you're swept up in normality and, and the positive side, and then the crime rears its ugly head. 
the way it's dealt with in Promising Woman is through an energetic montage that, that makes you feel so much distance has been walked, so much yeah. of a journey has been made, whilst actually only being a couple minutes long. The revelation that comes afterwards is only a few minutes after the kind of the whole lovey-dovey beginning of the romance starts with, with her, her boyfriend Ryan. You know that is is some that is intense and it's quick, and the audience still doesn't have the crime out of their head because it's it's still so so yeah. thing. But it, it shows the audience exactly what's happening in her life, how she moves on, how she deals with it. We don't have to go through weeks and weeks with that partner. We don't have to go weeks and weeks of her living. We can mm. just see for a few different images and maybe one or two conversations how she's developing. This film decides to spoon feed us to a degree that is so unnecessary by it showing yeah. us all of the different facets of his life and personality involving with his interest in sport, his interest in, in women, his interest in music, his interest in dance, his, his feelings towards his yeah. daughter, his relationship with his daughter. Everything is drawn out to a degree that is really unnecessary that could have been summed up essentially with a montage, maybe with a few less scenes. Again, that issue would have given a bit more time for the ending and perhaps a, a, a stronger one. Again, there are a few different ending points that I think would have been better than the mm. one but the real details of the story, the plot aren't spoken about enough there isn't enough talk of, of what happens, there is not enough time to deal with the revelations and the twists, I agree I do like the late twist a lot I think it was done really well, I think it was really interesting, but we don't get enough time to deal with that information yeah, yeah. And, and, and think what happened, I was like, oh, great great point, really good, but yeah, it's what happens around it um, that, that makes it that makes it it stand it not stand out there like it should. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of good, little good things in here, and I think there are a lot of li- good little good lines and uh, bits of dialogue and conversations. I think that the initial part of the film, when he's dealing and he's kind of going, you said that, that bit with the Instagram when he's going around the streets and he's dealing very directly. I think that bit was was strong. It was really interesting to me, and I think it was done well. But it the film doesn't stand on its strongest points, uh, and it. it it kind of just regresses into something that is very generic and, as you say, very average. Um, I don't know if you've got anything yeah. else to say. Uh, well, tagging on to what you said about Promising Young Woman, I think what you're saying is this film would be improved by a montage set to a Paris Hilton song. And I completely agree. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm I saying. I completely yeah. agree. That, uh, I'm saying it would be better if Matt Damon perhaps went out with Bo Burnham. You know, that would have made it less, that would have made it less average and more more better. Well, yeah. I feel like that perfect. wouldn't work with his character. I feel like that man is probably not a very tolerant <laughs> human being. <laughs> there was one scene where, uh, you know, the uh, the woman that he falls in love with does ask what I think everyone was thinking. While she's like, "Did you vote for Trump?" <laughs> oh right, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, 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 everyone was thinking that. Everyone was thinking that. Yeah. And then he says, "So no." To give a spoiler, he says no because he can't. He couldn't vote because yeah. he's a, he's a uh, criminal. Or whatever. He's, he's had a. a uh, crime against him whatever yeah and and my mum like turned look like looks across me he's like is that actually a thing in america i was like yeah that's well weird isn't it? that you yeah. can't vote if you've been a criminal that's a bit strange i don't i don't know the thing it takes that. like decades to sort out as well yeah that's well weird yeah. um but yeah uh, yeah well, to be fair his daughter is a lesbian so it's he probably is actually quite tolerant <laughs> so i take back what i said um i'm actually not right now i actually I, I would like to formally say i don't think the character bill baker would be moaning about pronouns on twitter um <laughs> Yeah, so thoroughly average, I think. Yeah. I just think that, yeah, it's just annoying. A bit like I said about old, I think there is a good film in there. I think there yeah. really is. But it's done in a way that doesn't 
make any new much of a, much of a stir. Yeah, there's um, absolutely again, no think, time to deal with the the interesting mm, stuff. Mm. I, I think it's technically too good for me to to hate on. Yeah, and this is what that, that's how, how I it, feel like. I enjoyed sections of it. I definitely yeah. enjoyed large sections of it. Twenty minutes at a time, I thought were great. Um, and of course, as I tweeted earlier, it's the only film that uh, Newcastle reject Florian Tovan is actually mentioned in that I've seen this year. So um, that was oh, a positive. Wow. Um, and they talk about Pyatt in quite detail, actually. Um, but yeah, it 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 really fails to. It's still, it's still. The film is painfully still as yeah. the water that the title describes. Um, yeah, I so, agree. Like like you were saying, like it's difficult to say that this is bad because there isn't. There's not much of it is bad. It's just very meh and very average. <laughs> So it's difficult yes. to critique in that way because I can't sit here and say like the cinematography is bad, the everything's bad, the editing is bad. It's not bad. It's just it, it does its job. Like the cinematography, you know, correctly captures actors acting, and that's it. And the editing yeah, correctly you know, strings I, together I the plot. Specifically, I specifically thought at the time the cinematography for this type of film, doesn't need to do anything more and I'm happy with what it did. I think this film had the, the type of cinematography that I'd expect from a film like this. I don't think it really needed to overstep the mark. Well, yeah, um, I, I, I agree, but that doesn't change the fact that it I is I will say, actually, I've been, I've been to Marseille and I think this film has done, the cinematographer has done a good job of making it look like a much nicer place. No offence to any of this <laughs> <in Marseille>. Um... <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, I would say, oh, actually, I wasn't a big... I don't know if I mentioned this before. Abigail Breslin, who played his daughter, I, I thought was actually quite poor. Um, you know, I'm not... Yeah. I think I've seen her I think they before, should have left I'm her... Sure. I think they should have left her out of it for a lot of the film and just had her as kind mm. of this off-screen presence uh, rather than having, you know, a meeting after meeting after meeting with her. I think it would have been better if she was just an off-screen presence because I don't think she was uh, very good in it as a, as a written character yeah. or as a performance. Yeah, no, no. This is she's obviously an excellent actress. Um, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. She's been in a lot of things before. Uh, I think she was nominated for an Oscar when she was like five years old mm-hmm. um, for Little Miss Sunshine. Um, she's 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 a great actress, uh, yeah, but is. I just don't think in this film her emotion isn't on isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, her, it, it kind of I think a character that needed an awful lot of of that emotion, and she didn't really hit the nail on the head to be honest. Um, so yeah. Um, I feel like our ratings are going to be very similar because we keep talking about how average it is and yeah. I'm going for an absolute perfect average. I'm giving it a 5 out of 10. Uh, I think that makes complete sense with what I'm giving it because I think you, while we do both think it's very average, you kind of, I think you thought a little bit more positively than me because I've gone with a 4 out of 10. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, man the match. Now, I have alluded to, I think the, the acting is a lot better than you think the acting is, obviously. Um, but I think that Camille Coutin, who plays uh, the, the female lead, I think is, is very good in this. And I was uh, very impressed by her throughout. I thought she, she was, uh, was a standout. Um, and I am giving her my man of the match. That is very strange because I have forgotten to say that she was the only good thing about this performance. I did think that her performance was actively very good, unlike all of the others. And she is also my man of the match because I think she was the standout performance of this. Two out of three films have gone for the same man of the match today. Yeah, that is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, all three films... Well, yeah, all three films have had pretty much the same thoughts. 
Yeah, pretty much. How boring for the listeners, eh? Um, they must yeah. be so disappointed. I'm sorry to all of the population of South Africa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, I'd like to know what JL's thoughts were on Zola because I know I feel a lot of films um, that I would think of in the same ilk as that mm. kind of style-wise. He wasn't as big a fan as I was. Um, just because of our, our stylistic choice, so I'll be interested to see what JL yeah. would think. He did that. say that I spoke to him briefly about it. He did say that he enjoyed it, but I don't think he enjoyed it as much as as, as oh, I he has did seen and it. we did. But yeah, he has seen it and he did enjoy it. Um, okay, I just think that we were a little bit more favourable towards it, but I've not spoken to him about it in depth, so could be wrong. Okay, okay, interesting. Okay, yeah, if only we had him back, but unfortunately, I have to set with yeah. set up with Lewis, and he does feel the okay. same way as me about Stillwater because we spoke at oh, length about how little we enjoyed it. <laughs> right okay yeah yeah um there's oh again i said earlier brief touch on it there is like i think this film is quite similarly related to amanda knox's case and like she yeah. isn't like, it isn't actually about her and she doesn't get like a credit for her or anything but like mm. i think it's quite similar which i guess could have some some criticism around it but i don't know i don't know she i saw her like moaning about it the other day but, yeah um, she's not a fan of it yeah, maybe we'll get her on the podcast, shall we? We'll yeah. do, uh, we'll do, Amanda, uh, please get in touch with us. You might have a technically convicted murderer. I mean, whether you, wherever you stand on that point is... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know enough about but, her case to, to lie on either side. Yes, yeah, so, like, regardless of her thoughts, she is a convicted murderer, but she, she could be in it. She, she very much could be innocent in the same way I that O.J. No isn't a convicted murderer. That is true, yeah. O.J., you can also so come now, on. <laughs> we would, to be fair, regardless of fuck morals, I'd absolutely love to get OJ Simpson on the podcast. <laughs> like that would be a pretty damn good interview, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I yeah. Any if you're a dictator or a murderer, and you're a big fan of the podcast, uh, email us at nationalpolitics.com, <laughs> and we'll see if we find it feel like there's enough interesting content there to. Uh, Let's to get, get OJ on there. and do the uh, American Crime Story. The OJ yes, series. True. We'll do we'll do that and the um oh, the Naked Gun. Yes. With uh, him in it. Yes, the Naked Gun trilogy <laughs> and the OJ series. You like Naked Gun? Yeah. It's great. I love the Naked Gun. That's so great. hmm Better than Airplane. Yeah, I also agree, yeah. yeah. Unpopular Which is also great, of course. Airplane yeah, is great. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah but um, OJ not as good. Ch- <laughs> a little bit more, you know, murdery. A little bit too murdery for me, to be honest. Yeah. I liked his performance in um, Who is America? Oh, yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I remember yeah. that. It took me a second to remember that. <laughs> yeah, then Sasha Baron Cohen tries to force a, <laughs> a, a, a guilty plea Confession. out of it, like 50 or 40 years, whatever, after it happened. Uh-oh. Imagine if that forty it happened in the mid nineties. Mid nineties like forty years ago, weren't they? It was like twenty five years ago. <laughs> Where were, what, what year are we in? Twenty twenty one. That's it. That's ninety 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 was fifty years ago. Okay. <laughs> right. I don't fucking know. I just kind of I always feel like I always think that, that years in the past were more recently than they actually were, so I just overhit it instead of instead of underhitting it. <laughs> Because yeah, like nineteen ninety feels like it should be years ten years ago. But it's thirty one it years. Yeah, okay. Thirty it's thirty one years ago, so forty years wasn't that bad, was it? Well, that was nineteen ninety. I think it happened in ninety six. 
Uh, you would say that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and now Zola makes it into my top ten films of the year. It is all. It is also in my top ten films of the year. Stillwater is it's not in the ten spot right now. Yeah, Stillwater is not. Stillwater is my forty <laughs> third favorite film of the year. Stillwater um, was one of my least favorite watches of the year because I just felt like really? I really just didn't care for it. Like I've seen worse films yeah, this year, but at least they made me feel something. At least they gave me some. You know, brief moment of fun. This didn't. Well, we'll obviously get towards. We'll probably have a section on this, at least on the now showing awards of films we reviewed. Um, but do you know the answer for the worst film you've seen this year? Like, do you, is it Thunder Force, or is it something that you've seen that's worse than Thunder well, Force? This, this is the thing. I this is not worse than Thunder Force, but if I would much rather watch Thunder Force than this, absolutely. Yeah, but then also that's to take the piss out of it, though. Like, there is no entertainment value in what Thunder Force is trying to do. It's Thunder Force is as entertaining as The Room is, but I still think that Stillwater is ultimately a much better film than The Room. But I'd rather watch The Room than most films that are four star. I I agree, but I think with with Thunder Force, I got some kind of you know fun out of it, whereas with this, I was just thoroughly bored throughout do you think that maybe absence is making the heart grow fonder though like do you like realistically if you put on thunder force and started seeing um melissa mccarthy eating raw chicken again <laughs> that you would really think well i, think I did I not enjoy thunder force whatsoever but i i am almost certain that i could say i would rather watch it than than still water not because it was better because it's not but because still water was just right boring but have you seen a film worse than thunder force this year um let me have a look at what I've seen this year. Because for me, the answer is Monster Hunter, right? Monster Hunter is the worst yeah. film I've seen this year. Oh, I did hate. Like, I did hate Mortal Kombat quite a lot. Really, more than Thunder Force? You think it's worse than Thunder Force? I don't. I don't know. That's the thing. Oh, I also the saw. Country, um, I also watched Nineteen Twenty One, f- which is a Chinese yes. propaganda film. That's got to be. Up yeah, there. he talks about that on the old podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. The Conjuring and Old, those two which we talked about on the podcast and I got very passionate about, those ones are also very much near the bottom of my list. Yeah. I think Thunder um, Force is probably the worst film I've seen this year, but Stillwater, I think I could confidently say Stillwater is my least favourite. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I just, Stillwater is just not for me. Like, in the same way that Zola isn't the best, but it's my favourite, yeah. Stillwater really? isn't the I worst, really but it's my least favourite. Wow. I just there was really nothing for me in this, no enjoyment whatsoever. I could happily never see this again. There are definitely films I enjoyed less. Like I definitely enjoyed The Dig less. I definitely enjoyed The Unholy less. I definitely enjoyed Old less. Monster Hunter is probably one of the worst films I've ever seen. (laughs) I I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've not seen that. Yeah, it. I feel like I feel like you. If you watched it, you wouldn't actually. You think it's shit, but I don't think you'd agree to the same degree I did about it being one of the worst films I've seen. But for me, it just it was all the mm. worst things of Godzilla King of Monsters done again. <laughs> but um, which is the film I was also very passionately a hater of. Um, but yeah, looking yeah, through all the films I've seen, I think I could confidently say Stillwater is my least favorite. I realise there's actually a DC film that is worse than Suicide Squad and Batman vs Superman. There can't be one that's worse than Suicide Squad. Well, I think Batman vs Superman's worse than Suicide Squad, the original cut. I said this last week, of course. No. But I think the it's not DCU, but DC. Is it the, the Halle Berry Catwoman? 
I haven't seen the Halle Berry Catman in full, so I can't actually say that, but I'm going to say the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. Again, like, I I got some enjoyment out of Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. We kind of talked about last week's how, how there was things about Suicide Squad that we liked, and that's the, the like, at the end of the day, like, there, we did say a couple positives last week. Not many, I but we did say some I think mine was restricted things. to Viola Davis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the soundtrack's quite good, to be fair. It doesn't really fit, but the soundtrack yeah. is good in There are good songs in the soundtrack. But that's a compliment yes. of the songs, not the film. <laughs> yeah, the songs, the songs in the Suicide Squad soundtrack are good, but I don't think I actually talked last week about how bad the Suicide Squad accompanying album is. Like, yes. the... The, the songs in the film are pretty damn good. You've got some like Bowie in there and Rolling Stones and shit. But then when you've got Sucker for Pain and um, <laughs> Heathens, which absolutely sums up the kind of music I listened to when Suicide Squad came out. Like, I was a 21 Pilots <laughs> fan at the time. Like, some would say that me being a 1975 fan now isn't any improvement, but I would disagree, of course. But, yeah, and Sucker for Pain. Like, I, I, when I, the worst thing was the the... Credits started up, and I knew every single word to Sucker for Pain, every single verse. I was like, oh, I hate myself. <laughs> it was on my playlist at the time. Oh, oh gosh. man, life. I'm mm-hmm. happy to say oh, I was I never to... like that. <laughs> it's 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 up. It's it's not, It's the best accompanying album that and and, and Kendrick Lamar's Black Panther. It's his particular. That is a great. That is a great album. That is a great album. But you know, it's Kendrick Lamar. What do you expect? Kendrick Lamar versus Twenty One Pilots and Lil Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Eminem, 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 Eminem has a song in Suicide Squad, which is the worst part of Suicide Squad. Does um, yeah, in Suicide Squad, they uh, I can't remember. It's when they it's when they um, when she when they first meet up and he goes some kind of Suicide Squad. It is that bit? They there's I can't remember what song it is. I think it might be um, is it Without You or something like that. I can't I remember. I don't know any Eminem song, so I can't help you out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I you will recognise a fair few, to be fair. You would very recognise a fair few songs yeah. if they heard. Yeah, I mean, not for necessarily good. The reason, one from Eight Mile. But, um, is it Eight Mile? The one from Eight Mile. I know that one. I'm pretty sure there's probably a lot of those in Eight Mile. Uh, the one that won the Oscar. Now we just the like, one that won the Oscar. I don't know. Um, but I know that one. I'm not really a big film guy. I don't know its name. Well, one thing <laughs> I didn't say about Stillwater was that the whilst the soundtrack, whilst the score was actually fine and perhaps good, was really poorly used. I thought. I thought it was really strange when they decided to play. I thought song. it. And I thought it sounded like the the. I don't know. I, I can't remember. Oh, the the songs were just this like. I I agree they were really badly used, but the score itself, the original score, I thought was really uninventive it unremarkable it sounded like stock music like oh this is an emotional scene so let's play some violins yeah i, th- I thought it was fine but i thought it was, it was you know good but yeah the, the choice of, of when to use it it was so wrong yeah. there's scenes where it really didn't need to be so positive and it was kind of jolly um so yeah that wraps that up um we uh we're going to be looking of course at three shakespeare films next week uh which three shakespeare films which three versions are we watching? We are watching the 2018 Kingsley with Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson, and Florence Pugh. We're watching the 1996 famous or infamous Basil Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And we're also watching the 1996, also from 1996, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Unabridged Hamlet, which is four hours That's and four two hours minutes long. long. It's unabridged, so what do you expect? 
<laughs> if you want to watch that, if you watch those films before, uh, then I um, wish you as much luck as I do uh, the concept of sitting <laughs> through three of those. I actually have no problem with sitting through two of them. It's the four-hour one that scares me. Yeah. I mean, when I I gave you three football films, but I didn't give you three football films that are four hours long. Yeah, um, you didn't. Yeah. It is well. To be fair, you chose that. There was two options, and I said option A or option B. And you picked option A, which happened to be... Right, that's the same amount of choice that you get when you pick which answers you have to choose (laughs) on the fucking chase. Like, it's not really choice, is it? A or B. That's not saying, well, like, A or B, one, I'm going to shoot you in the head and one one I'm not. And then I go (laughs) A, and you go, well, it's your fault then, isn't it? You picked it. Suicide, really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, you you know, it's one of the only unabridged Shakespeare adaptations, so I feel like it's a necessity. I'll tell you a film that wasn't awful, but I enjoyed so little, and I enjoyed less than still were. That would have been Iris Axe Frankie. That that was a less enjoyable experience than Frankie. Than I still recognise was. that, but I don't know it. What is it? It was. Uh, I feel like I've seen it, but I don't remember. This year it. in the UK, but it came out last year, I think, in America. I think it came out at the end of 2019 in America, and then didn't ever come out because of COVID. But it's it's got it's Isabel Harper and she, her and her like family. Which is like quite a good task. It's uh, Brendan Gleeson, Greg Kinnear, and Marissa Tomlin. Oh, I think I remember. Oh, I remember uh, you talking about that. That's where I recognise yeah, it from. Yeah, they go to Portugal, and it's it's really artsy, and it's it's very nice looking, but it is it's awful. And there's like five minute long scenes in French with no subtitles. Yeah. Anyway, there's uh, a lot of French in, in Stillwater. So that that was our reviews of Stillwater, uh, Jungle Cruise, and Zola. Uh, three very different reviews. One pretty damn negative. One pretty damn average one pretty damn good yeah so if you want to follow me you can do so on twitter at sam h media and you can do so on letterboxd at uh, sam houston you can follow lewis on twitter at ljwr underscore and on um letterboxd at ljwr and what on tiktok at ljwr ljwr on tiktok and that's TikTok, probably where yeah. you're most successful yeah Become one of my 45,000 followers. 45,000? You need to start, like, have you, do, do you advertise the pod on there? Because you should. No, I don't, actually. I'm in my flop era at the minute, to be honest. I've not had I many views for a while. I absolutely love to see it. I absolutely love to see it. I know. Okay, um, you can follow, follow the Twitter account at uh, NowShowingPod, um, and you can contact us at NowShowingPod at gmail.com. Um, the best way to support the podcast is by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, we're proud to be members of the Music City Drive-In Network. Uh, you can follow their website, where there's a whole host of articles and podcasts about the world of film, the world of American football, the world of music, and more. Uh, and you can find them on Twitter at MCDIPod. Uh, we are... You know, we, we're very glad to have you listening and we look forward to hearing you. Well, we look forward to talking for your pleasure uh, next week. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. You're always so delayed on the goodbye.